Welcome to Horror and More with Anya Gore. I am your horror mistress and your host, Anya. Welcome. Today, I have a very special guest, somebody that I have recently started doing a lot of collaborations with, the stunning model and photographer, Andrea. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> so I want you to tell the listeners how we met. Oh God. Um, how did we meet? I think you just like messaged me randomly on Instagram, right? Yeah. So you are, you have a couple different Instagrams. I do. Yes. But the one that I found you on that we connected on was, so it's Andrea. Yep. So spell it out so people can find you on Instagram. So it's at O-N dot D-R-E-E dot A-H. And so this is your... Model, photography, slash weirdo account, I guess. <laughs> Not weirdo to me, but... Well, you know, to each their own. <laughs> you do a lot, a lot of horror, amongst other, obviously, yeah. other um, creative outlets. Um, not just horror there. But that's sort of where it's I... sucked you in. I, it did. It just, <laughs> I caught you. I, you got me into your world, 100%. And, yeah, I think this was when I was just taking big chances on messaging people and I really didn't think you were going to respond. Gotta love the cold call. And yeah. Hey man, I do it. I do it myself. So it's, it's good. That's how we are able to collaborate and create with right? other people. But uh, yeah, I messaged you and you responded really quickly. Yeah, and I think I was, it was like like 10 minutes or probably, something. I was, I was like, hey, what's going on? I was <laughs> so impressed. I was like, oh my God, I remember messaging Melissa saying she responded. Yay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> But yeah, we, we decided to do a shoot together. And in that first shoot where, you know, we'd never met before, um, we caught, what, three or four concepts. Yes, with so one, many. one makeup look, one... Outfit. One outfit. Two rooms. Two, yeah. <laughs> Two rooms in a backyard. And just, like, your creativity just blew my mind and your editing skills. And, uh, and it just sort of went from there and... I don't know about you, but I want to always be doing stuff with you. I'm so oh, glad yeah. we See? No, it's great. We came into it. each other's worlds. And the other thing you guys need to know is her other Instagram account, the mm -hmm. Bookstore Finds, yes. has how many followers? I'm um, at like 93,000, I guess. So she's kind of a big deal, you guys. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> I think she is. But because of that number that was one of the reasons why I was just not expecting to hear from you and when you responded I was like yeah super super blown away yay well, I'm glad you messaged me too yeah it's me great. too so if if you don't already follow her please follow her I will tag her in the description but her creativity is just next world and so inspiring every time you post a new set I just look at it and I'm like, this is stunning. This is beautiful. Like, I feel like I'm a record on repeat because I want to say. <laughs> no, give it to me. I love it. I love the serotonin. Please. <laughs> well, so aside from this creative outlet that mm -hmm. you have, one of the things that we're going to talk about today that is a topic that I think a lot of people struggle with. For sure. And you're really open, which I really appreciate, especially when it comes to getting information out there. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk to you about your eating disorder. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, 
so, it is one of those awkward ones. It's like, okay, let's do it. Let's. How are we going to do it? Let's do it. So why don't you start off by defining what you know about eating disorders in a clinical sense? Oh, God, in a clinical sense. Um... Well, I guess the easiest way to like describe it, um, I guess the, oh God, where do I start? <laughs> There's so much info. Um, I guess the biggest thing would be like the differences between like disordered eating and like a full fledged eating disorder, I guess, because lots of people have different quirks, um, which would fall into a disordered eating category. Like, you know what I mean? Like maybe, Maybe you can't eat orange jello just because for some weird reason and you want to eat green always. Um, that would be like a little disordered eating. Um, where it would come into a full-blown eating disorder is where that kind of um, incapacitates you in a way, I guess. Like my, my eating disorder controls almost, almost every aspect of my life in a certain way. Um, and it becomes... Um, a little more debilitating than just a, a standard quirk or um, something that might be like inconveniencing to your day a little. Okay. Mine, so mine basically controls my life, <laughs> which is which sounds worse than I guess it might be. I don't know, but well, it feeds into every aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is where it becomes debilitating. So, so just back to the term disordered eating because you know I don't know very much about mm -hmm. that, and there's got to be people out there that. Are listening to this going I have no idea what what that really means in terms of disordered eating versus eating disorder mm -hmm. would an example of disordered eating be like I have textural issues so like mm -hmm. you said jello I shuddered oh, right. inside I forgot you hate at, that. at the idea I of jello, jello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so would that be kind of more in the vein of disordered eating or that's yeah it's just the disordered eating would be like your your little quirks about food like okay. that everybody kind of has um Mine are like I physically can't eat certain things. Like I, I have a really, a really big thing. The first thing that makes me think about it is fish and chips because I'm an East Coaster, so fish and chips are such a big thing for me. Um, and for a long time, I just I could not eat it. And I'm, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It wasn't a textural issue. It was all it was all psychological. It was for me. I just couldn't go near that food, um, and it's to the point where I couldn't enjoy something that I, that I liked. And that's where it becomes more of an eating disorder as opposed to, um, I don't like a texture thing or right. I can only eat this color or maybe you only eat the red Skittles or, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like little things that, that like, they don't really impact your life. Right. Um, okay. where it becomes more of an eating disorder is where it, they physically impact you. Um, like mine, like I can't for the longest time I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy fish and chips with my family. Um, and that's hard when you're an East Coaster and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like fish and chips were, is like such a, such a staple and I just couldn't do, do my thing with it. So, yeah. So let's take that back to when you were younger. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're going through therapy, eating therapy, right? Is that what it's called? Um, oh. for which one? For, for for, for when I went to rehab or? Well, right now. Oh, you're, for you're, right now? Yeah. Um, right now. Yeah. Right now I'm, um, about... Um, two months into a program, um, which will be 18 months long. Um, and I'm dealing with, um, refeeding, which is when you, um, actually try to put weight on and eat more and increase your daily intake, um, which is a whole thing in its own. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as well along with the, with the program, I'm doing a lot of 
therapy around um, like just the causes of eating disorders and um, the control aspects and um, how I fall back on it as a resource um, to deal as a coping mechanism and then as well just dealing with those just those food issues in, in general um, the ones that I can't go near and the ones that um, I lose a little bit of control over and um, the foods that impact my life because essentially food is just fuel right. um, and while yes you're supposed to enjoy it and sometimes you eat just for fun um, essentially it shouldn't have that much control over me so um, in the program I'll, I'll learn how to do both hopefully okay so yeah. it's, you said part of it is finding sort of the history there yes and really delving into why yeah because eating disorders are never actually about the food they're they're always they're they're always a coping mechanism pretty much okay. um so mine basically started um because i had a really traumatic couple of months in my high school years um there was a breakup and there was a dissolution of my family um and then there were some school issues all happened within like three months so the easiest thing for me um, was for me to control my intake. So it got to the point where I was um, controlling everything that was coming in and out of my body because I couldn't control anything around me. I couldn't control who loved me. I couldn't control who was taking care of me. I couldn't control um, my future. I basically, mm. everything that I knew and everything that I was kind of trashed all at the same time and when you're and I think I was like 17 um so like it was like also the height of kind of puberty and everything for me because I was like a little bit of a late bloomer and I was you know I mean kind of it kind of just kind of all crashed together and yeah I ended up um quite sick because of it and uh yeah were you I've had it ever since were you aware during the time that this was starting? Was this I a was, conscious thing for you? See, this is the thing. I was, I was, I joke with my therapist that I was like the, the like lightning rod for eating disorders because I happened to have a friend, um, in high school who struggled with bulimia. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also, cause I'm old, I also grew up watching Degrassi, right? So, okay. so we all remember that infamous Degrassi eating disorder episode, mm -hmm. right? Where she mm -hmm. faints and the whole thing. Um, so I knew of eating disorders before mine hit. So there is that nature versus nurture aspect of it. Um, yeah, I grew up with, eat, with like, um, you know what I mean, like eating issues around me. Like my sister was, was um, a bit of a binge eater and my mom had some food issues. Um, so it was around me that way. But also just the knowledge of them also probably hindered a little bit. Um, right. If I didn't know anything about eating disorders beforehand, I probably, like there's a chance maybe it, wouldn't have hit or maybe it wouldn't have gotten worse who knows mm -hmm. but yeah so I definitely I definitely knew of what it was beforehand um and I don't know if I knew it right away I think I was probably in a little too deep before I really recognized okay well this is this is a full-blown eating disorder now and like I'm kind of stuck in it so you didn't have a, a moment one day where you were just like today's the day I'm gonna stop eating I'm gonna stop doing this or I'm gonna change this oh no I have those moments for sure there were moments where I was just like no I'm just not gonna do it but they start so minutely that you barely notice them mm, okay. like it's it really it really sneaks up on you which is yeah. which is hard to deal with um but yeah and so what sort of happened when it did sneak up on you and then bam it hits you oh well, see I'm um I'm one of those people who 
head first into things. Well, you, you, you must see it. I head yes. first into everything, right? I don't half-ass things, if it means anything to me. Um, when I started Bookstore Finds, my goal was $100,000. Um, and in, in my height of Bookstore Finds, I had 114k. Like, I, wow. I knew I wanted it, I went and I got it. Um, a couple of years before that, I said I wanted to read 50 books a year. I ended up reading 102 that year. Like, I, oh like, I just, like, I, when I want something, I do it. Like, I wanted to learn how to screen print t-shirts. I watched a YouTube video. I bought the shit. I made the t-shirts. Now I got only, like, 15 t-shirts with Harry Potter shit on it that I made myself. <laughs> like, it's, I don't do anything half-ass if it means anything to me. Um, so I dove, I dove head fucking first in, into it, which was terrible. Um... And I have a lot of guilt over that, I think. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, resentment, I guess, towards myself. Because I'm like, fuck, the one thing I'm really good at was my eating like was my eating disorder. I'm like, man, I, I dove so headfirst into it. And I did head, drove headfirst in. Once I realized I was into it and I knew I couldn't get out, I was just like, fuck it. Yeah. Um, and I went looking for everything that would have made me worse. And, like, every website that was promoting it and every... Every resources I could have found that to make me sicker, I went and found. And so we were sort of touching upon this earlier mm -hmm. that you were saying almost the sicker you became, mm -hmm. the more attention you felt you were getting. Yeah, the psychological like aspects of it is, is what really fucks me up the most. Um, and I apologize for the swearing. No, no. I swear like a sailor. Um, yeah, the psychological parts really fuck me up the most because there's a fine line between... Um, the, like, little girl parts of me, that, like, 17-year-old girl who's still in there, who's still controlling her weight so that way her parents will get back together and, I mean, her boyfriend will love her, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, like, that that's all very vulnerable and very natural and very soft and very sad, and I feel really bad for that person. Mm -hmm. But there is that headstrong, stubborn, slight bitch in me that has the competitive aspects that knew that the skinnier I got, the more attention I would get. Um, the sicker I got, the more recognition I would get in the in the eating disorder community. Like when I went to rehab the second time, um, I remember being there and this kid coming in um, almost as I was leaving, and he was he was just poor this poor little kid, um, and he was he was just so sick. And I remember the eating disorder was still like was still in me, obviously, because it's still there. Um, but I remember her inside me being really fucking pissed that he was smaller than me. Wow. And, like, I was, like, that's, my eating disorder is very competitive. And I, and, like, that's why I don't go anywhere near any of that now. Because I worry that she'll just fucking claw her way out. Um, but, yeah, I can remember, like, that part of me, like, that terrible, that terrible eating disorder part of me. And that's what made me so good at it. That's what made me get so sick and get so skinny was I was so good at it because she was so competitive. Um, yeah, that part is still there as well. Like, that's the psychological part. So, like, and I feel, I don't feel bad for her. Like, she's a bitch and I fucking hate her. Um, <laughs> and I know, like, psychologically, the separation between her not necessarily being me and me being more of that broken person is more me. But they're both me. Mm -hmm. So the psychological aspects are what really fuck you up. Because those are the ones that essentially you have to deal with or it doesn't ever go away. So is it sort of always there? It's yeah. always in your mind, underlying. Always. Yeah. So what, if you want to talk about this, what I'll talk about anything. I might just shake the entire time I do it. Like, okay. It's okay. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. What prompted you 
to get this kind of therapy recently? Oh, fuck. Um, is there a moment? Mm -hmm. Was there hmm. a... Okay, um, to explain it, I probably have to mention how to... Okay, so I was 10-year, what they call, like, weight restored um, when I had... Um, Oh, I'm totally outing myself now. When I had my son. <laughs> um, so, um, after my son, I was weight restored for about 10 years. And then fucking Netflix um, came out with To the Bone on Netflix, which is the... Um, I haven't the, seen it. Is it yeah. a documentary? No, it's a movie about eating disorders with, um, with L Lily Collins in it. And okay. it's written by a woman who had an eating disorder. Um, but I... I refer to myself during that time as weight restored, not recovered, because I still had all of these thoughts. I was just at a healthy weight. So when Netflix came out with To the Bone and I saw Lily Collins ridiculously thin and ridiculously skinny and um, in rehab and in, indulging in all these behaviors, um, it was a huge trigger for me. Um, mm. I watched it twice that day um, and I bought two bottles of diet pills that day. So from that point on, this was about three years ago now, it was like July 14th, 2017 or something like that. I remember the date because it's when fucking To The Bone came out that day. Um, so from that point on, I lost about 40 pounds. Wow. I went from, well, I shouldn't mention numbers, that's just rude. Um, I went from a healthy weight to a not healthy weight. Um, and it just, it, it's really, it's really bad because the sicker I get, the more creative I am. Um, just because I'm dealing with so many more emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, but because of that, like the art is really great, but all of those fucking emotions, it just kind of ruins everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know, it, like anybody who's dealt with addictions and eating disorders are basically just addictions. It's like alcoholism. Alcoholism ruins lives, right? So you go home and you're drunk all day and then you're, you know, I mean, maybe you're the type that beats your kids or maybe you're the type that doesn't do anything around the house or yada, yada, yada. It's the same thing with eating disorders. I'm occupied by thoughts, yeah. so I'm not going home and beating my kids or getting hammered, but I am distracted, yeah. right? So yep. it's like, and it makes you emotional, and it makes you kind of irritated, so like on some day, I might snap at you because I haven't eaten that day, and, or because I haven't, you know I mean, I've been eating X amount of calories a day for six months, and my brain is starving. Um, right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it really impacts your day and really kind of ruins it. Um, and it gets to a point where that's exhausting. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you uh, you do your shit, and you sign up for programs, and you move across the country to find help. <laughs> so that's one of the things that it occurred to me that we haven't told people. You're from... I'm an East Coaster, yeah. From Newfoundland. I'm from Newfoundland. We've got a new few Right? There. Stay where you're at till you come through, too. <laughs> <laughs> and so during all of this time when you were triggered, and you said that's when you got up and you moved... You came over this way? Well, I spent, um, I spent almost, almost two years sick back home, hiding it from everyone I loved, um, and lying, because eating disorders make you a huge fucking liar. Um, so I was lying to all my family, telling them that I was fine and that I was trying to get healthier. And at first I told them that I wasn't eating sugar because I wanted to clear up my skin, a load of shit. Um, yeah, so I just got sicker and sicker and then, um... I got to a point where they would ask and I would say I was fine and they would ask and I would say I was fine. Um, and then we just decided to move and I thought, okay, well, this is a, this is, this is a way for me to get out and for me to get somewhere where maybe I can get some help. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
obviously the the resources in Newfoundland just weren't helping me um, I'm sure they mean well there's just it's such a small area I just couldn't get what I needed there and I very different than here yes. yeah and yeah well and it's not so much different it's just I, I'd run through every program that they could offer me right um, and the medical care there there is just extremely backed up like I would be looking at a two-year wait to get into a program Wow. Um, while here I'm already doing I'm already doing this 18 month program and I also have a I have a requisition in to do inpatient so at any point in time they could call me and say hey do you want to come in and do a three-month inpatient program where we'll do your weight restoration we'll do your therapy we'll do it all um, and then I just have to decide if I want to go or not um, so which is great like I've, I've managed to get more here than I've managed to get there. Right. Which is good. So that was a that was a good move for you. That was a good move. Plus, you know what I mean? Then I get to make art all day, too, while yeah. I'm doing it. Which is great, because that keeps me sane. <laughs> so so yeah. that must be a really tough balance, then, as an artist and a creator, that you were saying that sometimes when you're at your height of the eating disorder... The art is better. It's better. The art is better. Because as an artist... Everybody knows the more you suffer, the art is better. Because art is just depictions of each person's suffering, right? Whether it's your suffering for love or money or sex or whatever, it's it's your suffering. Yeah. So the more I suffer, the the better the art is, and the more I suffer, the darker my art is. Oh, and that the must darker be tough. the darker I get, the better my art gets. You know what I mean? Because that's where my heart is. That's where I can draw on emotion. You know what I mean? It's so, like when I did the suffocation set when I. When I wrapped my face in plastic and I had that scene in the in the uh, hallway, mm-hmm. um, that was a total metaphor of me being suffocated. And it looks like a crime scene, and I did it as a crime scene, and I made the photos look like crime scene photos, but it's all a fucking metaphor because it's, it's all in my head, right? Like, you guys only see it as a crime scene, but I see that as me being suffocated by my mental illness, right? So it's like, it's a way for me to process, but it's really fucking dark. Like, lots of people messaged me and was like, yeah, that's real fucked up. And I'm like, yeah, it's real fucked up for you, but to me it's a metaphor. Yes. So like, yeah. But yeah, it is a balance because the I have to come to terms with letting go of certain things. Like once I healed the trauma, I'm not going to be able to make as dark of art with that trauma. Well, I mean, I know that's... It'll just be different. It'll be different. It'll be different yeah, dark. Yeah. It just won't be as dark. It'll be processed art. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it'll, it'll be a different form. Um... And I'm sure I'll come to terms with that as it as it goes and as I grow along with it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that you have to work through, I guess. I'm sure that'll come up in my therapy. Oh, I'm sure that will too. Yeah, because that, it comes yeah. up now. Every once in a while we talk about um, like how I'm going to have to come to terms with the fact that my face will change. And right now my face is basically my biggest prop in my art. Right. Um, and as I gain weight, my face shape will change because my cheeks will fill out and my eyes will fill out and all of those things will change. So at some point in time, I'm going to have to let go of my sharp, angular face and come to terms with my slightly puffier, younger looking face. But at least I'll still look 25 when I'm 50. So <laughs> you're probably, when you get right? some cheeks on there, some round yeah, cheeks, no, you're I probably going to... I look like 13. Yeah, it's terrible. You're going to look even younger. Yeah. No. Which is good. Untapped fetish. Right? <laughs> I'll make a ton of creepy doll photos then. There you go. They all have those round baby weight faces. Yes, they do. Right? With the pink cheeks. With the pink cheeks and the cracked eyeballs. <laughs> That's what I need. So, 
how do you get through a day with these looming thoughts, this looming, I, I mean, I, I don't want to say obsession. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is to you. I don't know. But I, I, as someone that went through postpartum obsession, when I've got the circling thoughts and the circling gloom of it just never, ever, ever leaves. Mm -hmm. is would, would be kind of comparable to that where it's just always there it's a constant it definitely is at times especially in um in the height of restricting which is what i do um so my eating disorder um is basically anorexia nervosa um so i restrict um as opposed to bulimia which where you would eat and and throw up mm -hmm. um or like binge eating disorder where you just you just overeat to the point where you're uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, so I restrict as a way. Um, so in the height of the restriction, it would be like that. I would almost get euphoric and it would constantly be on my mind. Constantly thinking about calories, constantly thinking about how much my food weighed, constantly thinking about what, you mean, what I was going to eat, whether or not I was allowed to eat. Um, there were, and what do you mean by allowed in terms of what you considered okay? Oh, yeah, whether or not I was worthy of being allowed to, to eat. Like, whether or not I... Um, there were days... I mean, it's not so much now because I'm working towards the other way. <laughs> um, but there were days where, like, oh, if I didn't burn a 1,000 calories, I wasn't allowed to have 200 because then my deficit would be 800. You know what I mean? Um, so yep. I would burn 800. Like, it was just like then I could eat because I had done whatever I was good or blah, blah, blah. Total mm. fucking bullshit. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot around around that in the beginning, um, especially because in those moments, you're, you're literally starving your brain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because people don't realize how much food your body needs just to survive. Like, you're... The average woman needs 2,200 calories a day just to keep their bodily functions functioning, just to keep your liver working, just to keep your pancreas, pancreasiting, like all of those things. Um, things that we don't think about. Things that you don't think about, yeah. like just to keep your brain functioning. So every time that I would, you know, I mean, not get what I needed, my brain would starve. And it would just, the more, the more starving you are, the more you think about it. Right. It's like, um, it's like when people, do you remember when Atkins mm -hmm. happened? Okay, do you remember when everybody joined Atkins and all they talked about was bread? Yes. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. When you're starving, all you talk about is food. All you think about is food. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it becomes an obsession completely. Right. So how do you, how do you get through a day? Oh, back then, back then there wasn't. Mm. I wasn't really getting through a day. It was controlling everything. Um... I wouldn't eat a meal without weighing it because I wanted to make sure I knew what every, like you couldn't know what you were eating until I would weigh it. And it would just control everything. I couldn't do anything. I would have anxiety about going to restaurants with family. And, um, so I wasn't really getting through, <laughs> I wasn't really getting through the day. Um, now it's not as bad, I guess. Um, there becomes a routine when you've had your eating disorder for a really long time. You kind of become this weird homeostasis where you live with it. I'm coming up on 20 years off and on. So, I mean, there's some sort of weird comfort in that, I guess. Um, but now I'm actively working towards the other way. So when I get up in the morning and I really just don't want 
to eat. And I mm -hmm. don't. Like, I'm still working on building those hunger cues back because my body is still trying to, like, remember that it's supposed to eat three times a day and have three snacks a day. Um, so when I really don't want to, I, I just, I basically just kick myself in the ass and pull up my big girl panties and fucking shove it in my face. And you've seen me, I've done, I've done, I've done live streams on Instagram where I'm crying, shoving food in my yep. face as a way to keep myself accountable. Um, because there's a lot of times where the eating disorder wins and I just don't eat. You know what I mean? Like I'm even my dietitian now only has me on like my goal. My goal right now is to eat to my diet plan four days a week. She's like, you don't even have to do it seven days a week right now. Like that's fine. You do four days a week. We're gonna call you a rock star because you're eating regularly four days a week as opposed to one day a week right, or right. not regularly seven days a week. Um, so it's all about the tiny goals now. So in the morning, like maybe in the morning, I kick myself in the ass and I eat half my breakfast. And then I eat the other half a half an hour later. I basically just chip away at it with um, a lot of positive self-talk, a lot of kicking my ass, and a lot of just fucking grinning and bearing it at this point. And do you find using a social media, like you said, it kind of holds you accountable? Do it you does. Feel, do you feel that helps, that encourages you that right now I'm going to post on social media so I need to have them see me eating this right now? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. great. Basically. I'm, I've always been, um, since the first time I tried recovery, I've tried to be as open as I can be because they really, and it sounds so cliche, when they tell you in rehab, and they will, anybody who goes to rehab, they will tell you that eating disorders thrive on secrets. Any addiction does. Hmm. It makes you keep secrets. The more you keep a secret, the more you're hiding, the more you're using your addiction. Um, so I, it, it, it really hit me that it, that's actually true, even though it sounds really kind of cheesy, um, because you do, you, you keep a lot of secrets. Um, so I try not to do that as a way to kind of, as an opposite action to my eating disorder, it's kind of like a fuck you to her right. and be like, I'm not going to hide you. You know what I mean? Like the more I hide her, the more, um, the more she wins. So, so then putting it right out there in plain sight for everyone to see helps. That's great. Do you have people that reach out to you when you post this? Constantly. And, I mean, yeah. I know that every now and then when I see one of your posts, I'll give you a, a hand clap. Yes, you know, that's great. But do you get the opposite? Do you get any negative? No, not on, um, not on, not on those posts. Good. But, um, so when I do those, I get a lot of really great messages. I get a lot of people who offer to eat meals with me. Um, wow. I get a lot of people who say that I can, um, you know what I mean, message them, um, which is great. Um, I don't get it from there. Where I get it is on my posts. Um, mm -hmm. and where I get it is, um, in work. Yeah. People think that if you're sick, you shouldn't be allowed to work. And it's like, I have to constantly fight, even though I'm underweight and I know I'm underweight and everybody knows I'm underweight, you can see it. Um, I constantly have to fight for my right to still work because it's like they think, okay, well, while you're sick, we don't want to look at you. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. want, they want me to basically just go away and hide until it comes. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want you, they sucks. want to put you in a box. And if you're and, not within that box. And well, you know me in boxes. I like yeah. to kick the fuck out of them yes, and get the fuck do. out. So, um, yeah, that sucks. You know what I mean? Like I've had, I've had photographers not want to work with me. 
um, or work with me and not share any of my photos. So that's because a, that's and a I know that too, it's yeah. not. And I see through their fucking bullshit. I see through your fucking bullshit, people. Um, I see through their fucking bullshit, and I know it's because of my size or whatever. Um, so during that moment, I just wish they would just not work with me. Yeah. Because it's so much more demoralizing for them to take your photo and just not share it. Um, because then it's like, cool. I was cool enough for you to take my photo, but not cool enough for you to, like, say I did a good job. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is just a kick in the face. Like, just because you're sick um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be allowed to make art. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. if I had cancer, nobody would tell me not to take photos. That's right. Just because I didn't have any hair. Like, it's a load of fucking shit. Um, That's a double and, standard. And I'll die on that mountain, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay. I tell them all to fuck off all the time, so. Yes, you do. And yeah. I, I love your candor. Yeah. I really do. I, my I mouth, admire that. My, my mouth <laughs> get, gets me in trouble a few times, but it's okay. <laughs> but you, you say it as it is. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you here. Because there are not enough of us who are willing to put our bullshit out there for everyone to see. Oh, yeah, I can't help it. <laughs> well, but that's the thing is we all deal with bullshit. Yeah. All of us do. We all have our own issues. Mm -hmm. We, you see these Instagram stars, these Instagram people that are posting nothing but beautiful pictures. And you're only seeing a certain element of what they want to show to people out there. Well, it's like, it's like bookstore finds and Andrea. If you looked at Bookstore Find, you'd think I owned a million books and I lived a great life. And That's all I did was read and maybe I'm best friends with actual HarperCollins. And like, <laughs> you lived in New York City. Like, and, yeah, no, bitch. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> look at Andrea. I am I live in a shitty apartment, uh, which we're in, um, in a basement um, with roommates. And um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, we're all wart covered and ugly on the inside. Absolutely. And I take comfort in seeing that Amen. honesty in other people because it makes me feel that I'm not alone in this difficult world. Yeah. I'm not alone in my mental health struggle. Someone else is struggling too and they're willing to share it. And I think that is so intimidating to so many people. I get that a lot. People tell me I'm intimidating a lot, which is really funny because I'm such a fucking puddle. Like I'm such <laughs> a soft hearted puddle. Like it's really funny that people say that. But I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the bluntness mm -hmm. and the fact that I will, I will talk about a lot of topics that make a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, but it's just because it makes me feel better. <laughs> it makes me feel better to open my mouth and get it out. But doesn't it also make you feel better knowing that the information you're sharing, someone is listening to this right now and saying, I know what she's feeling. I hope feeling. so, yeah. hundred percent. I there's, hope so. There's definitely people out there that are looking yeah. at what you're doing and they admire you. I mean... Like I said, as someone else that struggles with my own mental health issues, when I see you putting yourself out there like that, it makes me want to put myself out there more. It yeah, makes I hope me... it makes it easier because there's so much stigma around mental health. Um, and as soon as, I, as soon as you have any sort of mental health issue, people think you're just batshit fucking crazy. And I'm sorry, I have, I have anxiety and depression and I cry a lot. Like, that's it. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I don't eat enough. I'm sorry. I'm not fucking batshit crazy. Um, it's just ridiculous that people just label you as, like, a pariah. Um, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm at home crying thinking you hate me. I'm not planning to kill you. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah, like, 
and people just don't know enough and there's just so much stigma um if me blabbering about my feelings and vomiting my feelings all over podcasts <laughs> um and instagram can make people feel better about it or even stop talk about it. Well, I don't give a shit. Like, it's the same with my art. If my art makes you feel something or talk about something, then I've did my job. Absolutely. And that's the same thing with my word vomit. If my word vomit makes you have a conversation, even if it makes you have a shitty conversation, at least it made you do something. Well, that's the thing. More information is more information. More information is more information, yeah. So. So, do you have any words of advice to somebody listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I struggle with an eating disorder and I don't know what to do right now. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them oh god um see that's really hard for me because i had a really i had a really traumatic response for the first time that i ever reached out uh the first time i i went to a doctor um and i went with a list of everything that i did i, I was headstrong going in wanted help finally um and i gave her everything and i told her everything and she looked at me and nonchalantly she said well what do you want me to do about it and I said, okay. Um, and I left. Like, like a, me a medical, your medical a, doctor? Yeah, a doctor. Um, and she said, well, what do you want me to do about it? Um, now, I'm sure in that moment, maybe she meant, how would you like me to help you? Mm -hmm. But she said, well, what do you want me to do about it? Um, and I'll still remember that bitch for the rest of my life. Um, and I didn't seek help for quite a while after that. Um, and I eventually did. But... I don't know. I guess I I guess I tell people to like if 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 you have a terrible experience to not let it stop you from seeing somebody else. Because it did. It stopped me from quite a while. Um and I have a little bit of regret over that, I Do think. Do you? Well, mm. cuz like the sooner you get help, the the sooner it can stop. And it's it's real fucking hard. Um and I've been dealing with mine for so long, like yeah. to think of somebody else dealing with it for this long just breaks my heart. Um so yeah, I don't know. Just tell somebody. Just tell somebody. That's it. Anybody? Anybody. Anybody. Anybody that will listen, believe Anybody. you, support yeah. you. Basically. And if you're struggling yeah. with, with it. Or find me and message me and I'll find you help. Or, or I was going to say, do what Andrea yeah. does and put yourself out there for people see, to see. I told see. you I would fucking cry. <laughs> Ugh. It's good though. I mean. Every time. Being candid mm. about these tough things that we have to go through and knowing that you're surviving through this. Oh, yeah, I am resilient as fuck. You are resilient <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. But anybody... I mean, I, I die a couple of times a week. <laughs> I'm like nine cats. You've also I'm lived like... about ten different lives. Uh, I'm like a cat. I just, you know, I just come back again. <laughs> right? Yeah. But anybody listening to this, I listen to her words. Listen to where she's come from and the help that has worked for for her and yeah try 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 talk and get at it any out point there. literally i mean i've i've tried a few times and it didn't work the first couple but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not gonna work this time mm -hmm. and i'm glad i i reached a point where i reached out again because i couldn't have i mean i could have just left it and i could have wasted away and you know what i mean i could have done nothing um but i didn't you know what i mean and that's after almost 20 years so, mm -hmm. like, you know, I mean, if I can do it after 20 years and someone who can do it after 15 or 10 or 5 or 6 months, so they can do reach it. out at any point. So, another question I have, what is your family 
think of everything? What kind of support, lack of support, opinions, lack of opinions? What What is your family um, system there? They're, they're, I gotta say, they're very supportive. Um, but I, like, it's, it's, eating disorders are so hard because they come from a place or at least mine comes from a place of trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So mine comes from some of those interpersonal things with my family. Um, so they can be as supportive as they want to be, but there's still some resentment and some trauma there that needs to be worked out. Um, so that's a difficult, that's a difficult question for sure. Okay. Um, they are really supportive. Um, Is there acknowledgement on that end of their culp culpability in it? Yes. No. Yeah. No. No. Um, I don't think so. So they see that as a you problem solely? Maybe not my mom. Um, I'm sure my mom probably has some guilt. Mm. Um, just because of the issues um, in my family surrounding her. Um, I'm sure she has some guilt because when, when all of my shit fell apart, um, some of it was essentially her fault. Um, and that impacted me quite quite big um so i'm sure she has i'm sure she has some guilt um now my relapse now is not her my relapse now is fucking netflix's fault i'm gonna sue that, <laughs> I'm gonna sue that fucker one of these days um but i'm sure she has some guilt around i mean how it started and how i had to cope and um and all of that because my mom has her own addictions issues um and i'm sure she has some I'm sure she must have some acknowledgement over the whole genetics factor. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like addictions um, come down to that nature versus nurture, right? So it's, I'm sure she does. But one of the things that I hope to do in this program, this runaround, is a lot more therapy with, with my family um, to deal with those issues and hopefully make it easier for them to support me and for me to support them because... I was terrible in rehab both times and avoided it like the fucking plague because I knew that was the richest area of my trauma is my mother and I mean her issue. So it's, yeah, that's, that's a hard question. I gotta say they, I'm sure they're as supportive as they can be, but, um, again, I'm on the other side of the country now. Right. Um, and there is some resentment there because I did hide my relapse for a very long time. Um, and um, in true dramatic form, <laughs> I announced my relapse on Facebook <laughs> after I left. <laughs> so you left and then announced it. I and left so, okay. and then said, just so everybody knows, for the last two years, I've had a really bad relapse. I'm now in a program. Um, and in that moment, my sister didn't talk to me for two weeks, um, which pissed me off because she, she got upset that I didn't come to her. And then I got pissed off that she turned it into me not coming to her. You know what I mean? Like, yes. it's a little narcissistic for you to care about me not telling you when I'm telling you I'm really sick. Um, but that's just sisters. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's just sister dynamic, and she's going to be butthurt, and I'm going to be butthurt, and realistically, nobody gives a shit, because it doesn't actually matter. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm sure they're as, they're as supportive as they can be, but I don't make it easy on them. You know, there's those secrets again, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, so I hit my relapse for, for two years, so... Again, the accountability for the Instagram and the accountability with all of those things really help me now. 
That's so good. that's good. Are you, would you say that you're working towards then in your therapy, building up your, I don't, I don't know if it would be strength or courage or, or what kind of term you want to yeah, put to no, that? I'm really term. ballsy. So it's definitely not courage. Are you working towards that goal to finally get to that point to having your mom on there? with you in the therapy and actually getting to that heart of, Oh yeah. Eventually I'm going to have to get there. Um, is that one of your goals right now in therapy? And in, yeah, in eventually, your, eventually yeah. I'll have to get there. Cause I know it won't go away until I address, um, the abandonment and stuff like that with her. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I can't, it's my, it's my biggest trauma, so I can't see yeah, it. Yeah. I can't see it not coming up. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's going to happen. So I'm going to have to do that. Um, but I also have to deal with, which is really funny. This is one of those things that I didn't really think about that I would have to deal with. I have to deal with the embarrassment of it now. Like Do you I feel embarrassed or yeah, cause this is like my third relapse. So now I'm like, I'm like that junkie who goes into, um, into an intervention and goes, ugh, seriously again. You know what I mean? Like I but know is better. It, but is it an, an embarrassment in your head or is it an actual, well, is it all embarrassments in your head? Yes, but sometimes, and I mean, again, I've got my anxiety issues as well. So maybe mm -hmm. this is somebody coming from an anxious mind mm -hmm. frame. But there's a point where you're kind of going into a situation knowing, okay, I know that this person is thinking this. I know that this person is going to say this. Oh, no. Versus going into it's, a situation and oh, just well, then, yeah, thinking that people are thinking that. It's probably all in my head. Because realistically, a relapse is a terrible thing. It's not necessarily something people would laugh at or um, poke fun at or anything like that. Like, who fucking, who pokes fun at somebody who relapses? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, so essentially, there's no reason for me to feel, like, embarrassed. Maybe embarrassed is, a, is the wrong word, but I am. You know what I mean? Because I know better, because I've had my eating disorder for so long. Um, there's a moment where I'm just like, oh, fuck, seriously? Like, yeah. I'm doing this again? Like, why the fuck can't I just get over it? Um, and there's that embarrassment part. So like a lot of the honesty, um, a lot of the honesty is me getting over that is the more honest I am, the, the more open I am, the more I have to confront that embarrassment right. and work my way through it till, until that moment comes a point of true honesty and true openness. Um, cause there are those moments where I'm like, ugh, and it's, it's not strangers. It's. It's a weird thing for me. I don't, I can walk up to a stranger and tell them every bad thing that has ever happened to me. But for me to tell somebody I care about is hard. Hmm. Like I have this weird, the closer you get to me, the more I want to pull away. Um, which is one of the things that I have to work on. And, and it comes from my abandonment trauma. But yeah, it's one of those things that like I have to deal with the embarrassment now. Right. And I never realized I had to process that. So yeah, those are probably the two biggest things that I have to deal with is, um, confronting the cause headstrong with my mom and like all of the things that had happened that caused it. And then now dealing with the after effects of this relapse, because that's also keeping me in the relapse. Right. Yeah. Eating disorders are such a fountain of sh bullshit, <laughs> right? It's like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your honesty and, and, and you know, educating me on a lot of things about eating disorders that I, I don't know very much about. I mean, same as you, I saw the Degrassi episode oh, man. and Degrassi. the thing is in the nineties, I hate to say this, but it's just, it's true. 
eating disorders were almost um, glamorized a little bit. Well, they, they were either glamorized into a thing that beautiful ballerina girls I've only ever got, mm-hmm. or they were completely ignored. Mm-hmm. Everything like, was swept under the rug. Completely ignored. No, no. That girl who's 60 pounds overweight can't possibly have an eating disorder. She's not going home and stuffing her face because she hates herself. Yeah. No, it's got to be the little tiny skinny little thing. And that's why, like, I always refer to myself as a fucking walking cliche. Like, so my parents got divorced and I'm petite and I'm skinny, so now I have a fucking eating disorder. Yeah, I'm a walking cliche. <laughs> but at least I'm bringing to light all things as opposed to in the fucking eighties and nineties where it was like, you only looked it or we glossed over everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yep. if you weren't that one type, you didn't exist. And that's a load of shit. Like there's so many nuances and so many different things about mental health and eating disorders in general that like, hopefully the candor and all that can bring to light a lot more because man, we didn't talk about shit in the eighties. No. Talk about shit in the nineties, man. No, well, I mean, there's this new definition they've put to a certain type of person now called a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And it, I think most people with anxiety can check a lot of the boxes on a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And anybody listening, go go look into that and see if you check some of the boxes because I'm a highly sensitive person, but a highly sensitive person is the type of person that glossed over in the 90s as mm-hmm. well, right? And they would just say, oh, no, that's just them being crazy. Or, oh, no, you're just emotional. I or, fucking hate that C word. Ugh, crazy. Mm-hmm. word. I hate mm-hmm. how easily people throw it out. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah, and it's, 100%. It's, and it's so detrimental, honestly. Somebody refers to you as crazy, you get such a bad reputation. I'd almost rather be referred to as a murderer than crazy. <laughs> because, like, honestly, I could go out and murder a person and be like, yeah, I did it because of this or because of that. And I'd go to jail for 12 years. I'd come out and I'd write a book or I'd get a movie deal or I'd go back to my fucking sports career um, <laughs> or whatever. Um, but you label a bitch crazy and she's fucking crazy for the rest of her fucking life. And it's fucking bullshit. So yeah. yeah, you know what? The next time I lose my shit, I'm just going to tell people I murdered somebody for shits and giggles. Because I'll just go to jail for 12 years or something and I'll come out and write a book. Fuck it. It's so much easier to be labeled as something aggressive than it is as mentally ill. It's true. That's a load of fucking shit. It is very true. On that end note, <laughs> on me saying that's a load of fucking shit, <laughs> that's how we end it. I, uh, I just wanted to quickly ask you this, and this hasn't been, this episode was a little bit more impromptu tonight. Yeah, we're chatting. So we're, we're chatting and I don't have the same question I always ask everybody. What is your favorite horror movie? What comes to your mind? Silence of the Lambs. Instantly. 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 Silence of the Lambs. Or The Shining. One or the other. Right. I'm into those psychological thrillers, right? Like, I I want my brain to be laying in bed going, <gasps> as I pick up, like, little more nuances. Like, every time I watch The Silence of the Lambs, I get something, some little more treat out of it. And I just fucking love that. And you can't get that out of blood and gore. No. So, you know what I mean? Like, yep. you can only watch a person get slashed in the face in the same movie, like, maybe four or five times. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, I've seen that one a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. But I can watch Silence of the Lambs. I can watch him tell her to put the fucking lotion on eight million times. <laughs> and every time I get goosebumps. Like, it's just, it really piques my brain, those psychological things. Um, yeah, I'm into those. Do, do you get scared? No, a lot of things don't scare me. Yeah. No, a lot of things don't scare me. Um, 
real life, although if I was gonna get scared, it would be the psychological ones. Do you know what really scared, scared the shit out of me? Um, Blair Witch really scared the shit the out original. of me. The original. Yeah, the original really scared the shit out of me. Um, mainly because I grew up in a small town and I walked a lot of the tracks with a lot of trees. Mm. But that moment at the end where yeah. he's in the corner um, and he's staring into the corner and I, I do remin like little remnants of that in a lot of my stuff. Um, that scared the fucking shit out of me. Yeah, I think because that scene, that, everybody remembers yeah, that scene. Yeah, that, that unknown, we don't know who was doing it, we don't know what the witch is, we don't know what is going on. Because I have such a visceral imagination, my brain just fucking ran with that shit. Mm. And to me, that is so much more, it's so much more terrifying than Jason or Freddy or any slasher film mm -hmm. or any ghost or anything like that because I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The unknown scares the shit out of me the most. So anything psychological really works for me. I just enjoy the slasher films for fun. Oh, of course. Right? The blood splatter and the... <laughs> every time somebody gets stabbed. The sound and effects, like, yeah. Yeah, like in Freddy vs. Jason where he killed, where they killed the dude by, by squishing the bed back together and they broke his back. Like, that was just fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not going to scare me. That's just fun to watch. That's fun to watch. That's it is fun to watch. It is fun to watch. It's fun to make, too. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to find a hotel with one of those pull-out wall beds. What do they call Murphy beds? Yep. Yeah, man, the art I would make with a fucking Murphy bed. <laughs> well, thank you so much so for good. being on here. This you was are welcome. This is a lovely talking to you and hearing you talk so openly about such a heavy topic. My word vomit? I love the word vomit. See, I don't think that's word vomit. I take that as education. Ooh. We need we need to get it out there. We hey, need man. we need people to talk and if you're listening and this gets you to want to share the episode or right. if you want to reach out to Andrea, you want to reach out to me, do it. We encourage discussions. Yeah, of course. I'm not at all a doctor, but I will talk the hell out of you. <laughs> it's true. Right? And I will say, stay tuned to more episodes featuring Andrea, yeah. who has a plethora of <laughs> information she can share with us yeah. in the future. Those nine lives. That's right. <laughs>